Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, good morning again. I thought you were going to say good morning again. That's okay. Uh, And again, happy Mother's Day to to all the moms out there. Uh, We are in our series, Out of the Margins, as we look at women from Scripture who, uh, who significantly contributed to the ongoing work of God's redemptive history and plans and and for whom sometimes we overlook a bit in in their role. And because it's Mother's Day and as these two, the series and the day overlap, I feel like there's only one option. Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, perhaps the most famous mom of all time, not just within Christian circles, but perhaps within all of the world, the most famous mother of all time. Now, one thing that I love about Mary is that there is absolutely no attempt made by the gospel writers to make her any more than she truly is. There's no attempt to, to boost her up as, as some, as religions, especially the Greco-Roman religions at that time would have attempted to do, most likely if you were creating a religion, one really good way to, to make your, your God uh, be stronger and, and greater is to give a, a more and more of a, a, basically an origin story. But what I love about Mary is she's so ordinary. And I don't mean that in any way as a, as a bad way. She's just, she's ordinary. She is a common person who God God meets in an extraordinary way. And because she is so ordinary, I think there's a lot that we can, that we can, can take from her and understand through her and through her life. And so that's what we're going to be, uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. And, um, and again, I, I think that, uh, you know, if she would not have become the mother of Jesus, been chosen as the mother of Jesus, we would not be talking about her. She would never have made it into the history books. Uh, it's simply because of this event. Now, given our series out of the margins, it, it kind of feels like she doesn't fit because she's not really at risk of being forgotten. Her contribution as the mother of Jesus is not at risk of, of being forgotten by really anyone. I mean, even her name is no longer Mary. It's Mary, mother of Jesus. It's like just a part of her. But, but when we talk about out of the margins, I think maybe what we're thinking about a little might, might be more helpful is to think of this as more of like out of the nativity is that we want to look at Mary and the lessons that her life and her faith teach us. Because a lot of times when we think about Mary, we think about her from the perspective of her son. Her identity gets kind of, kind of marked and overshadowed by Jesus. But she was an individual, an individual full of faith who found favor in God. And, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And as we do so, Mary will become less of this extraordinary figure 
but someone that we can relate to as a human being and, and someone who we can relate to in the sense that she has this call and this purpose, just like we all do, this call and this purpose and this plan from God. And, and as she juggles the excitement and the fear that goes along with that plan, I think we can find this entry point that is extremely relatable for us today. So we're going to be looking at, uh, at Luke 1, uh, most, pretty much the whole, the whole morning looking at Luke 1. If you want to follow along, you certainly may, but the words will be up on the screen. And Luke 1, uh, verse 26 starts like this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. After all, back then, if an angel comes to you, you're kind of wondering if you're going to die. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The, Mary, uh, the, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will, shadow, will, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So today... We're going to look at um, we're going to look at just just kind of two parts of Mary's life. Not that this is all encompassing. Not that there isn't more that you can kind of extrapolate from her life. But we're going to we're going to spend time looking at, at two features of Mary's life and faith that are certainly worthy of emulation for us, and not just relatable to the mothers, but to to all of us. All of us have something to learn from Mary. And the first thing that we're going to look at is. Her awareness, uh, Mary's awareness of God and what God is doing. You know, what was Mary up to when the angel came? I have a trick question. We don't know. We don't know what she was up to, uh, which is actually kind of significant because a lot of times when an angel would, would visit someone, as accounted by the, the authors of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'd get a little bit more of a story. There'd be a little bit more of an explanation. This person would be doing this certain thing, be in this sacred place, doing this sacred ritual or whatever. And, and, and God, or through an angel or however, would speak or, or come to, to that person. But for Mary, there's nothing is nothing. As far as we can tell, she is, again, an ordinary woman, just doing her ordinary day-to-day things. God speaks to her in the midst of everything that is ordinary. And as I was thinking about this passage, some of the first questions that started to kind of bubble up in my mind that, that led to ultimately to this message, and I'll share these with you, but they were questions I was asking myself is, you know, how aware are you of God's presence? in your everyday life? Are you so busy and your schedule so packed that if God needed to get your attention, would he have to send an earthquake or something dramatic in order to get your attention to begin thinking about the ways of God? Are are you prepared to receive from God on your schedule 
Or are you also prepared to receive from God outside of your schedule? Sometimes we treat our communion with God and and receiving from God kind of like everything else in our life. Scheduled, right? We, We schedule our faith in certain ways. Now, I'm going I'm to go one way, and I'm going to backtrack, and we're going to find our way back to the middle here, okay? But, but here, here's how sometimes we schedule our faith in such ways that, that our, our, our faith becomes, uh, okay, God, uh, I'm going to get up at 5.30 every morning, 5.30. I'm going to read scripture, and I'm going to pray from 5.30 to 5.45. God, I am all yours. Speak to me. Unless I have a hard time falling asleep then I'm going to need those 15 minutes, right? Or else I'm going to be a very ungodly person the next day. But God, in these 15 minutes, I am attuned to you before I move on with the rest of my day, of course. God, I am yours every Sunday at 930. If you've got something to say, you've got an entire hour to speak to me. God, I am free after 10 p.m. every night. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong with this. Here's where I start to backtrack, okay? I don't want you to hear me wrong and think that scheduling uh, parts of your faith or expressions of your faith is in any way bad. You wouldn't be here right now if you didn't have church scheduled, right? Part of spiritual disciplines is a certain scheduling and protecting of our time. Things like worship and prayer and and reading scripture and and fasting and, and study. All of these things do work well with disciplined scheduling and protecting those times. That's one of the ways that we can make things very sacred is to to protect them from other things. But the point I'm getting at is if God is scheduled, and I don't just mean our spiritual disciplines or expressions of our faith, but if God himself is scheduled, our faith becomes extremely narrow and disconnected from the rest of life. This is just kind of one of those like really stubborn Christian heresies that has existed for 2,000 years and will will just exist till the day that we are glorified in Christ, which is this belief that there is the sacred world and the secular world. That there are sacred places and times and activities, and then there are the secular places, times, and activities. And that if we're over here, we're not thinking about what's over here. I'm doing these things. They're ordinary. They're they're mindless. They're whatever. They're they're sacred times. And then I'll go to this sacred thing. I'll, I'll, I'll engage in this kind of sacred space. And this heresy basically puts so much of our life outside of God's control and outside of, of God's influence. Now, if, there's a, if there is one group of people who know the value of scheduling and understand the importance of scheduling, it's moms, right? Actually, moms with kids. In fact, uh, Proverbs 20, 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, that's the NIV But if you look up that verse in the KNJV NIV squared translation, it actually reads like this. Where there is no calendar, the family perishes. It's an extremely convenient 
translation if you ever are looking for something, right? But, but that's what, no, no, the, the, again, being a Christian doesn't mean that we throw out our schedules and that Christian disciplines just go away because what's outside of it is problematic. No, what it means is that no part of our lives, including even our time, is left untouchable from the influence of God. And it might mean that we take some of the things that we once considered ordinary and we start to see the beautiful, sacred importance and value within them. Consider, like, here, here's just some, a few just random things, okay? Chores, chores. A lot of times you're like, let's just get through them. Well, chores are an excellent opportunity to say, here I am with the opportunity to serve my family, my kids, my spouse, whoever. A fight with a spouse or a kid is an opportunity to practice the ministry of reconciliation and to practice humility. Sleep. Sleep can be a beautiful, sacred experience. Think about this. Next time you go to bed, when you go to bed tonight, think about this. That every time you sleep is in a way it, it preaches and it proclaims that you're limited. But that God is limitless in his care and oversight. So imagine that as you're falling asleep. Emails, they're opportunities to bless and encourage people. Your commutes are not wasted time and time just to get through. Commutes are excellent opportunities to call someone, to encourage someone, to, to listen to scripture or to, to podcasts or some, some sort of media to, to fill your life with God's word in a unique way. When you sit down for a meal with your family, it is a sacramental time. Taking a shower is a sacramental time. It can be a reminder of who you are through your baptism. All of these things are so ordinary, but we can place value upon them to keep our minds constantly thinking towards the ways of God. Here's an example. I, I, I think I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. Uh, when I get out of the shower, I clean my ears and I brush my teeth, okay? Ordinary, boring, but when I clean my ears, it's a reminder and a prayer for me, God, help me to hear you. And help me to listen to other people well today. And when I brush my teeth, I think, God, help me to speak your word well and to speak with kindness and goodness to other people. These things that are meaningless become meaningful when we are attentive to the ways of God and we begin to think about him at all times. Think about, okay, I'll move on in just a second, but... Here's kind of a tangible example of that, one that's a, a, a version of this a, a friend told me a long time ago, and it's always stuck with me, which is that, you know, imagine the person whose voice you know better than anyone's, okay? Now, how do you know their voice? Time. Spend time with them. You listen to them, you speak with them, you start to learn what they say, how they say it, their cadence, their, their topics, things like that. Now, imagine you're in a room full of people and everybody's talking really loud, maybe even louder than your friend or that, that person that you have in your mind. Their voice will come through all of that noise. Why? Because you know it. It stands out from the static of everything else going on. And so it is with our relational God, our God who wants to know you in a deeply personal way, who sacrificed himself to have that personal relationship with you. 
And so as we commit ourselves daily, regularly to spending time with the Lord and listening for that voice, we will start to discern that voice. And as you do, you will start to pick it out of the noise and all of the other voices that that clamor for your attention every day. And more and more, you will begin to see and hear God in your regular day-to-day life. Mary was a woman who had awareness. She was ordinary in nearly every way that we can tell, yet twice the angel says to her, you have found favor with God. Something about the way she led her life prepared her to receive from God whenever and wherever she was. The second thing we're going to look at with her is acceptance. Okay, now God is always speaking, but accepting is up to you. And I am sure that I am not the only one who is guilty of of not accepting and not wanting to go along with what God always says or these leanings or these feelings that I have when I know the right thing or the thing that I should do or the opportunity that God has given me. And I'm just like, no, I'd rather not. I'm not the only one. Something that, uh, something that sometimes gets interpreted poorly with Mary, and sometimes she's, of all the good about her, one thing that's sometimes painted in not such a good light is, is actually believing that Mary was a person who, who didn't necessarily accept God's call upon her life. I mean, so many people around her struggled with this, and some people kind of group Mary into it as well, in part because the first question that she asked the angel is, how can these things be? But I don't think that this, I don't think she's asking a question from a place of of doubt, because the angel certainly does not rebuke her for a lack of faith in, in some way. I think she's asking a very concrete question. She's saying, look, I'm a girl. I'm a virgin, I'm not married, we have no premarital foolery planned. How can these things be? And the response from the angel is, is also very practical. The angel goes in and explains how this will actually happen. In fact, just to solidify her acceptance, she goes on to write one of the most beautiful pieces of Christian poetry that's ever been written. It's called the Magnificat. And it's something that is still recited and prayed and sung in churches today. There are some churches where this is, this is a part of their living liturgy every single week. Here's how it goes. It comes right from, from Luke 1. So, uh, Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." The Magnificat is the confirmation of not just Mary's acceptance, but her joyful acceptance of God's plans and purposes in her life. And her acceptance of God's plan, 
I, in my opinion, was spiritually impressive in part because it was not socially profitable. It was not profitable really in any way. Because think about this, as we kind of bring, come back into to Mary's story and Mary's life and, and understand her as, as someone who is truly still relatable to us today, let's think about her without all the stuff that we already know. Let's think about Mary only with what Mary knows. You know about Christmas. Mary doesn't know about Christmas. You know about the resurrection. Mary doesn't know about the resurrection. She doesn't know about the crucifixion. She doesn't know about any of this. The classic, uh, in fact, the classic Christmas song, like the only, I'm not, I'm kind of a Grinch when it comes to Christmas music, but there is one song that I wouldn't mind hearing anytime. It's Mary, Did You Know? I guess it's just beautiful. But the words so, like, just beautifully capture this kind of imagery of Mary in situ, like in, in where she is and what she knows. The song, you know, over and over again says, Mary, did you know? And then, you know, Mary, did you know that when you kiss this baby, you're kissing the face of God? Mary, did you know that this child would, would one day raise people from the dead, would calm storms and, 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 and heal the blind? Mary, did you know? how your son would die? And of course, the answer to all of these questions is no. Mary didn't know. She, she knows that there's something special about this child. She knows that somehow mysteriously she has the, the son of God growing within her and she is raising the son of God, the Messiah. She knows that. But in terms of the details, in terms of how it's going to affect her and, and what her life is going to be like from here forward, she doesn't know. And I think this kind of gets at why sometimes we struggle with our acceptance of God's plans and why sometimes they scare us a bit because we like assurance before we'll offer acceptance because that helps us to reduce the fear of the unknown. We like some assurance that we will recoup what we sacrifice in doing God's will and being a part of God's plan. We would like some assurance that at the end of the day, we'll be remembered maybe for being right. We want assurance that everything's going to be okay. Somehow everything's going to end up being okay. But there's no reason to think that Mary has any of these assurances, but she does have one. It's not that everything will be okay. The only assurance that Mary has, what motivates her to be bold and brave in her declaration of faith and to move ahead as the mother of the Savior is the knowledge and the wisdom that God is with her. That God has begun a good thing within her. And that God, that same God, will carry it through towards its good end. Perhaps at the sacrifice of herself, but that God is with her. Mary's call, or God's call on Mary's life nearly cost her her relationship with Joseph. If you go into the story, Joseph was prepared to, he said, quietly leave her, quietly divorce her because she was pregnant and he knew that he didn't have anything to do with it. This call upon her life nearly cost her, her, her husband. 
this call upon her life may very well have hurt her socially. Because people would have known. People talk. This may very well have hurt her religiously. After all, if she's pregnant and she's not married, she has broken God's law itself. She gave up a lot. She risked a lot. She became a mom before she was ready. That's a sacrifice. That's something fearful in and of itself. But this is where, this is where I want to be. And this is where I, I want all of us to be and to, to grow towards this. Which is that the only assurance that you and I will need to move ahead with the next steps that God has for you is the assurance that God is with you. Because a lot of times we don't get to see all of the steps. We don't get to know how things are going to end and where we're headed towards and where our faithfulness and obedience will lead. We don't always know that. A lot of times it's more like walking through the fog, right? You see what's one step ahead of you. For Mary, she did not know what her path, what her life would be like as the mother of God. There are plenty of reasons to believe that she was terrified, that this would have harmed her, yet she joyfully moves forward with it. She didn't know what all the steps were, but she knew that the next step, God was with her. And that when she would take the next one and the one after that, that God would be with her. Whatever you're going through, whatever God has called you to, whether you have a full awareness of it now or you're still kind of trying to make your way through and understand, know that the promises of God go with you. That his promise is not that you'll be, and you can find these messages other places, you won't find them here, that, that, that the assurance is not, hey, if you take these steps, you're going to live this prosperous life, everything's going to be hunky-dory, Everything, you're going to live this amazing, amazing life and all of these things. That's not the promises of God the universal promises of God, the universal promise of God is that he will be with you. What he started in your life, he will finish. He will walk with you. And my prayer is that as a church and as a religious community, a billion strong in this world, that all of us can take this assurance that God is with you, that he will never forget you, he will never forsake you, and take the next step in your faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for the model of faith that we get to see in Mary. God, thank you for the way that she was so faithful in her commitment to you and commitment to what was next in her faith. And God, I pray that as, as we look at Mary, that we would see this woman who was brave, who was daring, who was confident in the, in the one thing that she could truly be confident in, which is that she was loved by God and that God would go with her. God, as she discerned the words of God and discerned the purposes of her life, God, she took those next steps. And I pray that we would be able to do the same. God, constantly remind us through the everyday, seemingly meaningless things in our life, all the ordinary stuff, God, help us to hijack those things for your purposes, to see you in everything and to be constantly reminded of who we are as children of God. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the gift of faith. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.